All right, thanks for listening in to the All Pigskin Podcast. I am Coach Long, joined here by my guy, Tanner, a.k.a. Fetty Guapo. Fetty Guapo! So, how's everything up in the greater Northwest, Tanner? Nice and cold and beautiful. Fantastic. Well, there's obviously lots to discuss this week in the NFL. None better to start with than the Aaron Rodgers injury. What are your thoughts? I think the Packers season is over. And that's that's that. So you don't think Brett Hundley can come in and make a run? God, no. If he plays like he did last week, no. How no, about, he's terrible. How about the hit? There, there, was a, there was discussion about the hit on Rodgers itself. You saw him get up walking off the field. Obviously, he wasn't very happy about it. Some say it was dirty. Some say it was just playing the game. It's, uh, I think it's a case of a star quarterback thinking everything's a call i mean ultimately ultimately i think Barr's just trying to make a play Uh, you and i talked earlier about aaron obviously bracing himself because it's a natural reaction as you're falling um some Mm. some were upset about the drive into the turf i think it's just a guy making a play on a quarterback outside the pocket yeah i mean if you're gonna hit someone you're not going to like shove them down and then get off of them. You're going to continue the hit. I mean, that's just a, that's a football tackle. I agree 100%. So, along the lines with the injury, what effect do you think this has on the rest of the north? I think the north is going to be kind of like the NFC West, how it's almost or not the NFC, the NFC South, I mean. I don't know why I said the West, but how it's kind of always up for grabs any team could have it any season and i think that's kind of how the north's going to be this year so you just no one knows so nothing like the afc south <laughs> no uh all right so with it being up for grabs who do you like um right now if at the teams continue at the rate they're going vikings 100 percent. i know they're missing their star running back they're missing their star quarterback. and But Case Keenum has shown that he can ball out like the rest of the quarterbacks in the NFC North. And I just I think their defense is just a little bit better than everyone else's. Yeah, I mean, for me, obviously, you know that my team, the Chicago Bears, is in the North. And we have the Trubisky train that a lot of people are jumping on. Um I'm going to go with the Detroit Lions at this point. I really like the Vikings' defense. I like the leaders with Smith and Griffin that they have in in the both the back end and the front end of that defense. Um, I don't trust their ability to run the football. I, I think McKinney's a great running back, especially in the pass game. But uh, I still think there's questions along the offensive line. Uh, up in Minnesota. Detroit, I think, has a better track record both in the playoffs recently, obviously not historically. Um, I trust uh, Stafford a lot more than I trust the quarterback situation in Minnesota. Um, Having said that, the team that I probably don't trust the most is also the Detroit Lions because of their history and not being able to finish. So I agree with your sentiment that it's definitely up for grabs. I'm still going to pin Detroit, but I'm still skeptical. Yeah, another thing that I just thought about is the Teddy Bridgewater is cleared to practice again this week. If he can come back and revert to his uh, 
not gunslinging ways, but <clears throat> he was definitely a, I'll take what you give him. And I think if he can do that, and Jarek McKinnon can keep doing what he's doing, and Latavius Murray can maybe uh, revert back to his Oakland days, that's a pretty gnarly two-headed running attack, running attack up in Minnesota. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I, I think the defense there is how they're going to win football games, causing turnovers, running the football. Um, I, but like we've talked about, I definitely think it's open. Um, oh. And I guess the cards will fall where they may. Um, I guess one thing to discuss, though, is the Chicago Bears. If they run the football the way they did against the Baltimore Ravens, is there a chance that these guys could sneak in? Like, I think the big game this week against the Panthers is kind of that measuring stick. It, because it is at home. The Panthers have to come up. Cam Newton, in my opinion, is a mediocre quarterback. I know I'm going to get a lot of flack for that. but Oh, 100% agree. I, I just look at the numbers, and you take away his Super Bowl season – you know, everybody talks about it being a what have you done for me lately business. And when I take away his Super Bowl year, I see a mediocre stat line, a guy that can run the football uh, better than most quarterbacks, and he definitely brings a third element to the game. But with the game this week, coming into Chicago where Cam Newton has struggled on the road in his career, if the Bears can run the football the way they did and, and take away the ball like they did against the Ravens, I actually think they have a legitimate shot of winning this football game. Well, yeah, didn't uh, Jordan Howard ran the ball almost 40 times, correct? 4,800, doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, I th- definitely think if they can keep the ball out of Cam's hands, <clears throat> you're negating any opportunities he has to do something, whether run the ball or throw the ball. So... If you can keep the ball out of their offense's hands and keep it out of Christian McCaffrey, which he hasn't done much this year, but besides catch the ball, if you can keep the ball out of their playmakers' hands, it's their defenses and all that. I think we saw that last Thursday against Philadelphia. Of course you'd bring up Philadelphia, right? (laughs) (laughs) So moving away from the NFC North, um, what points did you want to hit on this week in the NFL? Um... I think the big things I want to talk about was the the still in the NFC North. So not I want to talk about the two quarterback situations. How uh, I don't know if you've seen the reports, but supposedly Sam Bradford may be uh, done for his career after this, which they still haven't even come out and said exactly what he did. I want to know what your thoughts were on if he's done for his career. Um. I'm I'm somewhat of a cynic, you know. I'm an old ball coach, so as far as someone's toughness, it's not necessarily it's your ability, it's your availability. In especially at the NFL level, if you're not available, in my opinion, it's not much of a career to begin with. And let's face it, Sam Bradford has been unavailable most of his career. So he's missed two complete seasons, correct? I know. Right, something like yeah, that. He had yeah, he two two a. I think he's had two ACL tears while he's been in the NFL, plus one in college, and then this now. So, I definitely agree with you that if you're not on the field, you can't do much. Well, I mean, well, I can't I, do anything really. I, I look at his time with the Rams, and I, I think there's always been that glimmer of hope, kind of like <laughs> the Jay Cutler complex, right? All the intangibles. Yeah. And I don't think it's ever been about Bradford's decision-making like Cutler, but 
it has been about his availability. And when you're talking about a physical sport and toughness, and I'm not trying to question his toughness. That's not what it is. It's just that if you're unavailable, then I don't have a measuring stick to go off of. So I'm piggybacking off of that. What do you think about uh, Teddy Bridgewater? If he comes back and looks like he can't put any weight on his knee, do you think he should just call it as well? Um, and, until I can actually get some tape or some film to actually look at and see where he's at, it, it would be ultimately me speculating. And yeah. I, I think, in my opinion, I actually think Teddy Bridgewater is a better quarterback than Sam Bradford. And there's a lot of people that may not agree with that. But the reason I say that is I ultimately believe the quarterback position isn't necessarily always about ability. I think that has a lot to do with it. But the quarterback position is about your ability to lead men. And I think Teddy Bridgewater is a better leader of men than Sam Bradford is. Yeah, like like you said about how I want to talk about Philadelphia, going back to uh, Sam's time in Philadelphia, right when they drafted Carson Wentz, he wanted out immediately. That's not something a leader would do. A leader would want to teach and well, continue with his opportunities. Look at, I think that's just a showing of him not being the leader you'd want. Well, and, and piggybacking off of that, let's look at Alex Smith. They go out, they, they draft Mahomes, and everybody talks about Alex Smith not being able to push the ball down the field. Great leaders step up. They raise people around them. It's not about them lifting themselves up. It's about them grabbing everybody else and lifting them up. And we've seen that with Alex Smith. Yeah, something that I have seen on Alex Smith, though, is that I think a lot of people think that he's a kind of a changed quarterback. But if you look at his yards per his <clears throat> yards thrown downfield compared to last year to this year when everyone was calling him just a game manager, can't throw the ball down the field, it's like I think it's in between half a yard and a yard difference. So it's not that he's throwing the ball further. I think it's just that his receivers are making their more elusive after the catch than they were last year. And it's inflating his stats a little bit. Well, I, I also think it has to do with the run game. You got Kareem Hunt oh, yeah. who, who's putting up numbers, and I don't think that Alex has ever had a run game like he has right now in Kansas City. That's definitely true, especially with Jamal Charles never putting together a full 16. So, that's a great point. Um, one thing I want to talk about, too, is the collapse in Atlanta. Um my my biggest question here is, fool me once, right? When are these guys going to learn from their mistakes? If we just look at the numbers, they're up 17 nothing. I mean, common sense football tells us when you have a lead, especially in the NFL, run the football, shorten the yeah. game, limit the other team's ability to put points on the board. Don't you think? Yeah. So here's my question. Have you looked at Devontae Freeman's stat line? I have not. I'm actually in the process of looking that up right now. And I can almost, I, I can guarantee you, it is not where it should be for well, how much he's getting paid. Well, well, check this out. He ran the ball nine times in that game. He averaged 7.6 yards per carry. So the stat line is fantastic. My question is... Why didn't he run the football more? I have it. Might, that coaching staff just must not trust their running game for some awful reason. Because if you look at 
the two running backs they have there, <clears throat> they're both potential NFL. Devontae Freeman is obviously an NFL starter, and I think Tevin Coleman could be an NFL starter as well. It's just I, it, coaching staff. I would blame the coaching staff one hundred percent. Well, and and I think a lot of people are going to look at the OC, right, Steve Sarkeesian, and say, well, it's on him. And see, but my my issue with that is. Sarkeesian wasn't there when they did the same thing in the Super Bowl. I think this is yeah. a, a cultural drop down from the top to the bottom. I put this on the head coach, hands down. I, I think it's it's a cultural issue within that organization that they want to put the ball in the hands of Matt Ryan. And I, I mean, obviously, when you got a guy like Julio Jones, why wouldn't you? I think they have an up and coming tight end as well. But when you're up by 17 points. Even late in the game, they had two timeouts, there's a minute left, they're still trying to push the ball down the field into the air, and what happens? He throws a pick in the red zone. So, uh, I definitely think that they should stick to running the football and and give themselves an opportunity to win. Um, Sticking with that game... um, Although I'm, I'm a Chicago Bears fan, there are a lot of people who have never liked Jay Cutler. I've been a defender of Jay Cutler for years. Um, I, he's, he holds every passing record in Bears history. Now, that's not saying much because they haven't had a quarterback like ever. And people try and say Jim McMahon is, is the, the person to, to hold up anybody else to. My issue with that is look at Jim McMahon's stats. He was a mediocre quarterback at best. He had a great defense. But sticking with the Miami Dolphins, do you think they're a contender or a pretender? Pretender 100%. The, uh, Jay Cutler is, I don't even know. He just he doesn't seem to care at all, which that's been something people have talked about him for his the entirety of his career. And I think he's just showing that with Miami that he's – that whatever they're paying him is more that more than what he was going to make as a commentator, and I think he's just he's there to collect a paycheck. Doesn't care at all. Yeah, just wants some more monies. I, I've I've beat the Jay Cutler topic up and down because I am a Bears fan. So I, I just wanted to get your thoughts on on their ability to contend in the AFC East. Obviously, that division with. I mean, the Jets have shown a lot of life this year. You've obviously got New England and, well, Buffalo's no slouch themselves. Um, I don't know, though. If Miami can run the football, that's what's always predicated good offense from Jay Cutler is the ability to run the ball. I think they have a great running back in Jay Ajayi. I honestly think the AFC East is up for grabs. Um, Ever since Edelman went down, obviously Brady still continues to put up numbers, but... I don't know. I don't think he has necessarily a go-to guy. And as much as they throw the ball, I think it might become an issue at some point for them. Um, We talked about Atlanta not being able to close out that game. Do you think this has any hangover effect tied to that Super Bowl at all? I don't think so. I mean, I would hope not. I would hope that if you're going to continue to think about your Super Bowl loss going into the season still, that you would uh, fix the mistake you made, not continue to make the mistake. I think it's like, like you said, I think it's just Dan Quinn and whatever his idea of is keeping the ball in his quarterback's hands. I don't think that it's any, whatever you said. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
getting outside of the Atlanta game, <clears throat> what else did you want to cover today? Um, I wanted to talk about the NFC East. I know you had some notes about that as well. Yeah, go ahead. I'll piggyback. I have a feeling that you want to uh, discredit Philadelphia's season so far. As you know, I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan, and I just I want I want to smash all that. I think that this team is real. They have a real leader, and if they can continue to run the ball with well, how old is Garrett Blunt now? A hundred in running back years. <laughs> if he can continue to put up the numbers he's doing, I, I actually I saw a stat earlier this week that he's averaging 4.9 yards per carry after contact and there's something like five other running backs that are even that are qualified that are even averaging 4.9 yards per carry and i i just that blows my mind and boy that defense that defense makes me love football yeah actually i'm not gonna discredit philly at all uh i went back and looked at some numbers carson wentz is fifth in passing yards in the nfl mvp candidate he has the third or fourth highest um quarterback rating in the nfl right now and that front seven in philly is legit gnarly yeah gnarly and that's something i noticed in watching the games is it doesn't matter who's in at the end and who's in at the tackle. They consistently create pressure with just the four of them. Because Jim Schwartz isn't much of a blitzer, but that, that wide nine, Brandon Graham gets pressured, Chris Long gets pressured, Vinnie Curry, Derek Barnett. And then that's not even talking about the interior guys. I think we all know how great Fletcher Cox is. But that that defense's defensive line is probably one of the best I've seen in my few years of watching football. I the only thing I worry about in that they're obviously going to get Roby back, but the the back end of that defense worries me some. But if the quarterback can't get rid of the football, it doesn't really matter. And if you can't run the ball, it especially doesn't matter. So uh, I agree with you one hundred percent that you know these guys on that front seven of that defense uh, are are like you talk about Chris Long uh, and and. Like Garrett Blunt being a hundred in in football years, isn't Chris Long like a hundred and ten now? And I do believe so. We we've seen this guy have a complete resurgence since since joining that football team. And you brought up another key point. Jim Swartz is a great defensive coach. Look what he did with the Bills when he was up there. Yes, uh, they, I think they went from like the twenty sixth to the top five, and then right back down to the twentieth when he left. Something around there. Not sure exactly sure on the numbers, but. He's, he's always coached competitive defenses, um, and I, I definitely look for Philly to be a, a contender in the East. I think the, the win against Washington early in the year actually has more premise now than it ever has because I think it, it gave them somewhat of a stranglehold on that division. Um, yeah. I think there's a lot of drama in Dallas right now, to be honest. I think Dak, the last two or three weeks – has put up great numbers when you look at them. Um, I, I think that I do think Dak Prescott's a guy that can lead that football team. But with everything surrounding Ezekiel Elliott, I just think it takes away from their ability to focus on football. Yeah, that is that is something that I'm tired of hearing about. I just want someone to be official and just say he's done for six games or. He can play. I'm, I'm tired of hearing about how he gets. Obviously, I'm talking about Ezekiel Elliott, but how he's 
off suspension, then on suspension, then off suspension, then on suspension. I just want someone to say yes or no. I don't care because obviously the, the charges were dropped. The old news, charges were dropped. I just I want to see a suspension or not a suspension, and I'm tired of hearing about it. So, I mean, obviously with that, if you're tired of hearing about it, how do you think the guys in that locker room feel? Oh, I'm sure that they, like, Whoever the leaders are on that team, probably Sean Lee, all of them just tone everything out. I I think that that locker room, they leave that up to Ezekiel and the league. That's how, at least how I would do it, and that's how I would hope that they do it. Just cut out all the noise, and they just need to focus on football. Absolutely. agree 100%. Um, so... Outside of the NFL itself, uh, if you'd like to get into your prospect for the week, you want to go that route? Yes, sounds good. So I chose to focus on uh, wide receivers this week, as I believe that it's... This is for your Philadelphia Eagles in the 2018 draft, correct? Yes, sir. Okay. My thing, I I focus on wide receivers because, one, it's not any immediate need in Philadelphia as... Alshon Jeffrey will, is under contract right now and hopefully is under contract next year. Same with Torrey Smith and the resurgence of Nelson Aguilar. But I kind of chose them because it's also somewhat of a need for uh, your Chicago Bears. So it kind of helps create a conversation between the two of us. For sure. And uh, So the first prospect that I watched on tape on was Christian Kirk, the wide receiver from Texas A&M. And I think the first thing that popped off the screen – is this man is electric. He put the ball in his hand, and he's gone, it seems, almost all the time. Because he, he returns punts, he returns kicks, and he lights up the scoreboard as a receiver. But my only thing with him is that he's, he's shorter. I think he's 5'11", so he'd probably set in a slot in the NFL. And that's kind of where Nelson Aguilar has been coming off the – or been popping off this year is in the slot. Feasting. Doesn't really seem... he, he has been feasting. Yeah, he's been feasting in the slot. That's not really I don't I don't wanna have I don't want Philly to kick him back outside after a year of not greatness, but a year of good play in the slot. But my uh my favorite receiver going into this is Paris Campbell out of Ohio State. And this man is kind of like Christian Kirk electric as well. But the thing that I loved way more about Paris Campbell is he's a willing blocker. I thought half of the tape I watched on him was him just making the holes for on the outside for uh, all the running backs. That's that kind of that makes yeah. I love that when wide receivers are willing blockers and are good at it. So just it takes that need off for like an extra tight end on the field or a fullback on the field if you can have a wide receiver that can block too. I mean, let's look at the the wide receivers that have come out of Ohio State. Obviously, one would started as a quarterback, and he's down in Houston now. Well, no, down in Houston. Oh, Braxton Miller. Braxton Miller, and we've seen what Braxton Miller's been able to do in his career coming out of that offense. So uh, I definitely think that Paris Campbell has some upside, uh, as well as Kirk. Uh, I like Kirk more than, than Campbell, to be honest, just because I think – he reminds me in some instances of, and this may sound offbeat, but Anquan Bolden a little bit just because I think he's compact. He's only 5'11", but he's like 205. 
And yeah. I think he can definitely make plays. He's not afraid to go get the ball across the middle. And another thing I like about him um, is that he comes from uh, the league that probably has the most NFL caliber defensive and defensive schemes in the SEC. Yeah. So you're you're going with Campbell. That's who you want him to draft. Is that, is that what well, I'm I still I still haven't even talked about okay. my third. Okay. But another thing I want to say about Paris is that watching the tape, he makes difficult catches, which makes JT look a lot better than JT Barrett really is. I'd agree. And that's I I think if you put him with a quarterback like Carson Wentz, oh god, oh god. <laughs> but watching the tape on this third guy, I'm going to talk about. I really I kind of. I was like, meh, he's from a smaller conference, so he's, he's probably just pooping on their smaller cornerbacks or their not-as-fast cornerbacks. But watching Cortland Sutton's tape, man, he is an animal. Yeah. Animal. I, I was hoping, I've never seen – I was hoping you were going to stream over Cortland Sutton because if there is a guy that I, I would like the Bears to draft at the wide receiver position, it's Cortland Sutton. Hands down. Corlin Sutton is, yeah. I think, hands down, he's probably the best receiver in this class. And that's another thing that kind of keeps him out of Philly's grasps, I think. But on the field, and we've already talked about this, he looks like a thinner Julio Jones. Yeah. He catches the ball like Julio Jones. And he's, he, he has that speed over everyone. He has that power over everyone. And he has the hops over everyone. I Corlin Sutton is awesome. Well, I, I know that some people were concerned about his thin frame uh, last year. Um, I actually read up on, on a scouting report this year, and it looks like he's put on about 8 pounds of muscle. He's now up to 218. Um, yeah. I think if he can stay in that 220 to 225 mark once he gets into the NFL, which they'll put muscle on him when he gets in there. Um, I agree with you 100%. I do think he's Julio Jones the second. Um you look at his ability to control his body at that size, his ability, his hands. He's got strong hands at the point of the catch. Um, the, are you concerned at all about the conference that he's coming out of? I thought I would be, but the more I think about it, there's so many smaller school receivers in the NFL anyways, like uh, Antonio Brown, obviously. And I... I think really it just comes down at the wide receiver position. It comes down to your God-given ability with your competitiveness and what you're going to put in. Because like Chris Hogan, he's not a great receiver by any means, but he didn't even play football in college. And here he is playing for the New England Patriots, playing in the Super Bowl last year. And it's I, I, I think wide receiver is something that your athletic ability and your competitiveness to get better will keep you better than – will keep you improving at least <clears throat> I think the entire that, your career. I think that your, your desire to um, be, become better, not being satisfied, um, kind of a saying that I've always told my players, stay hungry, stay humble. You know, it doesn't matter what you do right now. It's it's can you sustain it and can you get better? Do you want to get better? Um, I think that drives more NFL success than anything. Uh, I think we've seen a lot of guys come out that have God-given talent 
in the National Football League. I mean, these guys are freak athletes. These, these guys are scouted up and down as far as their intangible grades, right? How high can you jump? How fast can you run? How many times can you lift X amount of weight? They're all graded on that, but what's graded between the ears and the nipples, that's hard to grade. And I, I agree with you that if he can come in and stay hungry and want to be the best, then anything's possible because he has all the intangibles. Because, I mean, let's face it, let's look at a guy, you talk about coming out of a small school, he didn't just come out of a small school, he's small in stature, that's Tariq Cohen. And this yeah. kid has the it factor, this kid is electric, um, this kid makes plays that make you go, oh my goodness. Um and I think a big part of that with Tariq is because he wants to be the best. Some he said in an interview last week, I loved it. Everybody looks at him as the next Darren Sproles, right? You and I have had that discussion. Yeah. And it was great because in the interview he goes, I'm not trying to be Darren Sproles. I'm just trying to be Tariq. I loved it because that's a guy yeah. that says, this isn't about what anybody else has done. This is about what I'm going to do. So I I definitely love that. Um so Corlin Sutton, is that your pick? I think if we're going back to where Philly is probably going to be drafting, my pick is still going to be Paris Campbell. Okay. I mean, those three guys I definitely think are, are prospects that have a chance to make it in the league for sure. Um, I, got, I got one more thing I want to say real quick. Uh-huh. I'm going to name three names real quick, and you're going to tell me what's in common with all of them, okay? We got Jerry Rice, Terrell Owens, Randy Moss, what's in common? They're all going to be in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> they're all small school guys. Okay, and they're all... We got Mississippi Valley State, we got Tennessee Chattanooga, and Marshall, which Marshall's probably the biggest out of the three, but that, that I think that just helps to prove that it doesn't matter where you're coming from in the NFL as long as you keep that hunger. I will say this about Randy Moss. Randy Moss was at Florida State and got kicked off the team. Or he lost his scholarship. Yeah, so, I did. I forgot about that. But I, I definitely see uh, your logic. Um, so sticking with my Chicago Bears um, and who I believe they should focus on in the draft, um, we obviously talked about wide receiver. There's a lot of people that are going to call for the Bears to draft a wide receiver. Um Here's my issue. It's really going to depend on where the Bears are drafting. Um, you know, if they're in the middle of the draft, um, I, I don't think leaning on a wide receiver is the way to go. And even if they have a top 10 draft pick, I have an issue there because the last time we drafted in the top 10 and took a wide receiver, I mean, there's no other word but bust to describe Kevin White at this point. Yeah. Um, so in saying that, I'm going to stick with the offensive line here. I think you have one of the best two-headed running attacks uh, in the NFL right now. You just drafted what you consider to be your franchise quarterback in Trubisky, and I think protecting that asset definitely needs to take center stage in their agenda. Um some might even say the Bears could use a shutdown corner, that they're probably a shutdown corner away from being an elite defense right now. Because um, so, I, I was looking at an interesting stat line. Obviously, everybody knows that Adrian Amos lost his starting job um, this year 
to Eddie Jackson. See, I never thought Adrian Amos should have been a free safety in the league. You watch this kid come down and make plays in the box. This kid is ruthless. This kid is physical. He makes plays at the point of attack. I always thought he should have been more of that strong safety type that was going to come down in the box and cover tight ends in the flat, not taking guys over the top, where I think Eddie Jackson really looks like an elite safety in the NFL as a rookie. And when I say elite, I don't mean he's playing at an elite level right now, but I think this is a kid who has the pedigree, comes from a system with Nick Saban, that demonstrates he knows how to play the game. So I I really believe they have a strong... And ever since Adrian Amos has come back, he's the top-graded player on the Bears team, according to Pro Football Focus, like an 87.4 grade. So I think that they have found uh, what they need on the back end of that D. So a shutdown corner, I think, would help take them over the top. Um, but I still think that addressing the offensive line first and then getting a solid wide outer shutdown corner in rounds two through four. You mentioned small school guys that have been later drafted later in the mid rounds uh, at the wide receiver position in such a pass happy college football landscape. Now I think you can find diamonds in the rough. And although some people don't agree that the Bears organization as a whole uh, is being held accountable, I think Ryan Pace has done a great job. Let's look at the talent that Ryan Pace has drafted since he's been in Chicago. Now, everybody's going to talk about Kevin White. It's one pick. Happens all the time. How many guys are still in the NFL that were first-round draft picks? Those numbers continue to descend every single year. So, I look at the, the talent pool that Ryan Pace has drafted since he's been in Chicago. You're talking guys like Tariq Cohen, Jordan Howard, Eddie Jackson, Leonard Floyd. Like These are good football players. Cody Whitehairs is struggling a little bit this year, but he's still a good center. He's not terrible. He's serviceable. Um, and then outside of the draft, he, he went out and got Charles Leno under contract, which a lot of people don't like Charles Leno. And I, this is a 26-year-old tackle who was drafted in the seventh round out of Boise State. Uh, and he's, he's ranked as the 26th best left tackle in the NFL right now. Not elite, not even great. But if, if you can draft an elite tackle that can come in and play the left tackle position, you move Charles over to right tackle. Uh, because, let's face it, Bobby Massey... I don't even want to talk about his garbage. He's a bum. Yeah, he's a bum before he was in Chicago, and he's a bum now. That's all we gotta say. And and I think he's a team guy. That's what I do like about Bobby Massey. I think he's a team guy. But as far as a starting NFL tackle, no, I I don't think he is. So there's three particular tackles uh, that that I was looking at for the Chicago Bears to draft. Uh, obviously, Trey Adams out of Washington. Mike McGlinchey out of uh, Notre Dame and Connor Williams out of Texas. Injuries have kind of drugged down what I think of, of these three. Um, Trey Adams is also obviously done for the year, and that just happened this last week. Um, but I think Trey is a good football player. I don't like that he's not as physical as some of these other guys. Um, but in watching him... Uh, against an NFL caliber defense and defensive scheme last year in the college football playoff. He more than held his own. So I definitely like the intangibles. Uh, Obviously, it's a physical sport, and getting hurt the way he did, that leaves me with some concerns. 
Um, Mike out of Notre Dame has been starting since he was a sophomore. He started on the right side of the line, moved over to the left. Um, but he, he has uh, the talent and the experience, I believe, to plug in and play right now at the NFL level just because of that experience starting since he was a sophomore. Um, he's big. He's dominant. I don't like that he, he really he gets high a lot of the time and reach blocks. Um, hand placement isn't the greatest all the time. He ducks his head a lot, especially when he pulls out. Um concerns me a little bit that those things are still technical issues and it might be somewhat nitpicky but at the college level if we're still seeing these things kind of rear their ugly head a little bit my concern is can he take coaching I do believe however that he is the best pass blocking offensive lineman in this draft and I know you watched some film on him um, and you saw some things you didn't like uh, if you want to elaborate on that yeah, I was watching, uh, I think I watched all of their offensive possessions from the USC game in 2016, so not, it's not the most current tape on him, but I, <clears throat> he, would, he, get, he got to the second level fairly consistently, which is not really something people talk about with tackles all the time, but every time he'd get there, he'd reach for the linebacker or the safety, and he'd put his head down, run blocking, and they'd run right past him quite often. It's something I did not like seeing in his tape. He's definitely didn't look appealing to me as a team that also may need a, a fan of a team that may also need to tackle. Mike McGlinchey is not someone I would want for the Philadelphia Eagles. Look, looked like a great run blocker, great run blocker, but the pass pro, awful, awful in my eyes. Reached for the 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 DNs quite often, and while he was going against Porter Gustin, who was being talked about as a NFL caliber outside linebacker defensive end it just didn't look it's not something someone who's about to be a first round pick in the nfl should still be doing that sounds like a high school mistake to me well we'll we'll agree to disagree i broke down tape on 14 of his games last year and three of his games this year and mcglinchy looks to me like the best pass protecting lineman not just tackle lineman in this year's draft, um, the thing I really like about him that takes precedent in the NFL to me is your ability to reset. Now, lots of people who watch the NFL that are NFL fans um, don't necessarily get into all the technical aspects, and I'm not referring to you, I mean the average fan. Don't look at the technical aspects of the game. And you played O-line, right? Yeah. Okay, so... When you have a defensive lineman, what I like to refer to as getting inside you, meaning your foot placement, your hip placement, your hand placement are behind the defensive lineman and their get-off. A lot of people break down the technical aspects of their game to recover, right? Yeah. He doesn't do that. Now, I don't like how high he gets at the point of attack when a defensive lineman gets into him. I don't like that because I did see him multiple times allow defensive linemen to get their hands inside on him first to create that drive and that point of contact. And at the NFL level, if you do that too consistently, you're going to get your butt You're going to lose. Yeah, every yeah. time. They're, they're, there's too much talent. Guys are too strong and too fast that you have to get your hands on them first. That's where he can use a lot of work. But... It's what happens next. He doesn't panic. 
He sets his feet, he resets, and then he gets his hands in a position to block. That's what I really like about him, which tells me he's poised and he understands the technical aspect of the game. That's what I really like about him. Um, but getting outside of him, we can go to Connor Williams of Texas. Now, I know you like Connor. Most athletic lineman I saw that I watched, and I love athletic linemen. Obviously, Eagles fan, love Lane Johnson, love what he's turned into in the NFL, who was a tight end and a quarterback in college. So I love athletic, the athletic aspect of tackles games. Well, I mean, I told you that to me he looks a lot like Joe Staley coming out. I think you're 100% spot on about his uh, athleticism. I look at him as probably the most interesting prospect. Um, Now, had he not gotten hurt in the USC game, I think he would honestly probably be the first offensive lineman taken off the board. Um, But I also think that the injury – hurts his draft stock and ultimately his credibility when it comes to future injury concerns. Um, play, you know this. Playing O-line is brutal. Yes. It, it's, it's a, you're Hand in the tr- injuries, knee injuries, foot injuries, up and down body injuries pretty much on a game-by-game basis. Yeah, I mean, these guys are getting rolled up on. These guys are at the point of attack in the trenches, you know, against the biggest football players on the field. And when you're questioning a prospect's durability at that particular position, it just it raises red flags for me. And considering, you know, he's 6'6", but he's only 290, you know, there's a reason I think he's athletic. It's because I think he's a little bit lighter than everybody else. Definitely agree with you on that. He is a little bit thinner than the other two we've been talking about. And I mean, uh, one of the reasons I do like him too is because you talk about his ability to get to the second level and that that athleticism. In the Bears' stretch run game, where Jordan Howard excels, I definitely like that aspect of his game. Um, A superior natural athlete. Um, But where this comes down to, and I I hit on it before – it's going to depend on where the Bears draft. Um, if it's a top 10 pick and they draft a corner, I'm going to burn everything. If they draft a wide receiver in the top 10, I'm going to burn everything. I do. This team is getting younger, and they're obviously getting more athletic on defense, hands down. They're, become, they're the sixth best in the NFL right now in yards per game. Or, yeah, yards per game. Um, I don't want to see them you know, rush to go get a shutdown corner. And more than that, I don't want to see him draft a wide receiver in the top 10 because, like I said, it's got bust written all over it based on the history of Kevin White. Now, if there's a receiver out there that's more sustainable and has a better route tree and we're not just drafting them on their ceiling and their explosiveness, uh, I might entertain that argument. But right now, I would much rather see the Bears if they're in the top 10, trade back in the draft, consolidate draft picks, because I think you could get a guy like a Connor Williams and even now maybe even a Trey Adams given the injuries that have occurred. I think me watching the tape on the three of them, I loved what I saw out of Trey Adams the most, seemed the most sound, which he wasn't as aggressive as the other two. He's a little bit more of a passive blocker. But he held his, and I watched his game against Washington State last year in the uh, Apple Cup. And 
I loved what I saw for him, which what I'm seeing about him is he is planning on returning. But it's something I could see with Connor Williams is him kind of doing the, the Miles Jack thing where you get hurt early, sit out the rest of the year, still declare, and you just spend that whole time away from the team training and getting better. Because I think if, if Connor Williams can show out at the Combine, he will keep his draft stock 100%. If he can put up good numbers in the bench, run fast and tights like NFL GM seem to love and everything else, I he's someone I could still see going in the top 15 if if he can keep his body healthy through the rest of the season and if he still even chooses to declare. I believe he's still only – him and Trey Adams are both juniors still, so they both still have a year while Mike McGlinchey is a – senior right now yeah and i mean we're we're definitely uh differing a little bit if i had to say that i want to see what tackle i want to see the bears draft if it's a top 15 pick i'm going with the notre dame prospect mcglinchy uh just based on what i've seen i again it goes back to and maybe i'm a little bit jaded with first round picks getting hurt especially in that top 15 window um the you know, you got Fowler down in Jacksonville. He got hurt. You had Kevin White who got hurt. I just don't want to take a risk on a guy that you draft in the top 15 and then he ends up sitting out a year or two or whatever. And when guys have injury concerns coming in, maybe I'm just jaded, but that concerns me. I see where you're coming from, but another thing is like with uh, Sidney Jones – we talked about as a top 15, top 10 pick, and then tears his Achilles right before the draft. But we're talking about Connor Williams, who got hurt, who would be hypothetically at his return to form would be much sooner than Sidney Jones's. Well, while Sidney Jones dropped around, I think well, t- Connor Williams could be possibly even be back this season if he chose to, which I don't think he should. I don't think he is, but it's a much less of an injury, much less of a drop-off in my eyes. Okay. Well, that ultimately covers our draft prospect portion of the podcast. Um, This is normally where we end it, but I got a bonus topic I want to talk about real quick. Sounds good. And that is the Safarian Jenkins call on the goal line that was, and it ended up being ruled a touchback. I don't know if you saw the play. I have not seen the play, but I have seen everything about it. I I just want to hit on the NFL being the Illuminati, in my opinion. Um, And I don't know why it it continues to happen in New England Patriot games. But Safarian Jenkins obviously had the ball knocked out at the goal line. He regained possession, in my opinion. And his knee is down. The ball is across the goal line. And to, to, to me, I don't understand how the, the rudimentary portion of the rule, irref, irrefutable video evidence to overturn a call, why it is that they go against that logic and rule that the ball was out and it's now a touchback. He didn't fumble the ball out of bounds. The ball never left his possession. He regained possession. How is that possible? I'm watching the play right now, and I don't know if you remember, what it, what was it called on the field? Touchdown. Was it called a fumble? It was, it was called, called a touchdown. touchdown. 
on the field and they called it a touchback, fumble touchback afterwards. Yeah. And all, all the camera angles that this YouTube clip is showing, you see the ball come out and you see him regain it immediately. His elbow touches inbounds. And look the at, ball's across the goal line. Yeah, I look at the knee. I, look at the knee. That's the other thing. It's like the knee hits out of bounds down. He's across the goal line. But even if you're going to reverse that call, you got to bring that back to the one yard line and stick with the call on the field that he maintained possession. Yeah, I, there. I see nowhere in this play where one he fumbles it, or two, I believe, isn't the rule. If you fumble it out of the back or the sides of the end zone, that it's a... A touchback. Yeah. And even if you call that a fumble, I don't see... It never rolls out of his hands. It, the ball never goes out of bounds until it's back in his possession. So there, there's no way in hell that I see that being the Patriots' ball. I don't know what the refs were doing, but that was bad. Well, I just... I, I wanted to hit that controversial topic. You know how I feel about the Patriots. But uh, if you've got anything else, we can go ahead and cover it real quick. Oh, I don't believe so. All right. Well, we thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. Make sure to check us out online, allpigskinpodcast.com. You can also email us any questions or comments at either DJ at allpigskinpodcast.com or Tanner at allpigskinpodcast.com. Don't be afraid to hit us up on Twitter. We both love it. Tell us what we can improve on. If you've got any questions, don't be afraid to ask. To uh, to all my Chicago Bears fans out there, make sure you bear down. And obviously to Tanner's Eagles, fly, Eagles, fly. Fly, Eagles, fly. <laughs> Till next week.